1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 436 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on Sunday, February 4th. And I am joined by my friend, Scott Coleman. Scott, how are you on the first Sunday without football in quite some time?
2: Hey, Brad, I am doing pretty well, all things considered. Not the greatest of sports weekends without football. PGA Tour was rained out. Not a ton of other things happening in the sports world today. But doing well. We are officially, as of recording this, 10 days away from pitchers and catchers reporting for the Braves. So we really are getting close here, and baseball will hopefully be right around the corner before we know it.
1: That's right, and we're recording this podcast on a Sunday evening on a normal time slot. After this, Scott gets to go attend an Arizona basketball game. So there's that. Right, It's it's a big, ga- it's a big game on the horizon, if nothing else, for you and your bare-down roots over there, Scott. So have fun with that.
2: <laughs> Arizona <laughs> and Michigan covering the Atlanta Braves on a weekly podcast. It is a – Match made in heaven, Brad. Wouldn't do it with anybody else.
1: That's right. And I I do live here. So some, somebody's local. But yeah, we're, we're here. And uh, as we both kind of teased on social media, it is time to kind of rip things up when it comes to our, I'll say, annual positional kind of preview outlook sections and podcasts. And today's going to focus mostly on the bullpen. We'll start there as we kind of, uh, I would say, regularly do when we do these. Uh, and there's a lot to get to. On the bullpen for sure. And like most of this podcast, we'll say the vast majority of it will be talking about the 2024 Atlanta Braves bullpen. There's a little bit of news, and I will plug one thing at the top of the show. There was an awesome interview that our friend Sean Coleman did on this podcast feed with Garrett Spain, who is the head of the Battery Power Prospect Division of sorts, talking about all the minor league stuff. That was a good hour-long discussion of the top 30 list of the Braves prospects, and I know I learned a lot from it. Scott and I always admit and raise our hands that we're not prospect experts, so if you want that in general, a great, great place to read is batterypower.com. But that was a fun conversation between Sean and Garrett, and I recommend that and also subscribe to the podcast as always. But that was uh, certainly one to check out if you've not done that already.
2: Yeah, really great stuff. Uh, battery power and then talking chop back in the day. For my money, nobody covers the Braves minor league system better than the, the guys and gals do on the team and really great work this year with a top 30 prospects list plus honorable mention. So you're talking about breakdowns of almost three dozen prospects in the system. So really just tremendous work from the team. Please check out that podcast, check out the site. All of the rankings are up. They break them down in five, uh, quotient, uh, breakdowns if you will so one through five six through ten really just a great way to get familiar with the brave system and hopefully as we have seen over the years just another pipeline of talent ready to go here soon
1: and scott get ready for this professional segue a few of those guys were invited to big league camp this week that was the major news and i use major in quotation because that's not huge news under normal circumstances but Hurston Waldrop and Nacho Alvarez are the headliners being invited to big league camp for the Braves. They sort of uh, announced their non roster invitees. Alvarez is a fun prospect. I can't really see a path for him to make the team this year. Maybe you disagree. Can't really see that. But Waldrop could at least go crazy. I think it's not likely to happen. But if he somehow goes down to spring and just pitches out of his mind. There is a little bit of an opening for something to come out of nowhere in that realm. Um, they're sort of the two young guy headliners. Then they have a couple of veterans. David Fletcher is on the list, who the Braves acquired and then uh, designated to Gwinnett, etc. And then old, I guess not really old friend, but an old name, Ken Giles, a former high-end closer, has not pitched in quite some time, is on the list. Anything strike you as interesting from that in my list Because, look, this is a Braves team that's kind of set and for the most part, not not all the way around, but they have most of their questions have been answered. But there's still some battles to be won and we want some entry when it comes to February and March.
2: Yeah, I think with, with Hurston Waldrip, I would certainly be in favor of keeping him in Gwinnett for hopefully the, the entire season, if the big league Braves don't need him and maybe he forces his way up to the big league club at some point. But you know, the idea of him and AJ Smith Schauber getting 25 starts in the minor leagues at this point in their careers, I think is only going to help. And sure, at some point, the Braves may need them. They can make an impact. It would not be the first time the Braves have been aggressive with their promotions. Of course, Waldrop joined the system all of seven or eight months ago as the team's first-round pick, and he he was on a handful of top 100 prospect lists this past week, and just a glowing review of his plus-plus split-finger and if he's able to develop his other pitches around that, he could be really successful for a long time. So it will be fun to watch Waldrip and Nacho Alvarez and smith Shaver and the handful of other talented kids get a chance. And uh, it's unlikely that they break camp with the team just because of the depth of the 26-man roster. And then you, know, you mentioned the name Ken Giles, kind of a blast from the past. I, I hadn't thought about Ken Giles in a long time. Once upon a time, he was very, very good although he basically hasn't pitched in about five years with a, a plethora of injuries. So um, maybe the Braves strike gold kind of in that Nick Anderson mold that they did a year ago, where a guy who has had some injury problems suddenly uh, gets healthy and, and makes his way all the way back. But um, yeah, Ken Giles an interesting name nonetheless, and he'll at least get a chance in the first couple of weeks to, to be in the mix.
1: Yeah, it might sound like you're exaggerating, but you're actually not with the five-year thing. He has thrown eight major league innings since 2019. So he has pitched, but not very much. Didn't pitch at all last year. He did sign a minor league deal that could pay him real money if he makes the team, but that if is obviously a massive one. Um, And as we'll talk about later on on this particular podcast when it comes to the bullpen – sometimes there are these stories where guys come out of nowhere. I mean, Tyler Matzik is a great example of this, who was not supposed to be anything in Atlanta. He was, he kind of had washed out, came back. Um, So there, there are pathways to relievers being super off the radar, fixing something, getting healthy, finding a new pitch, whatever it is, and kind of finding their way back to the majors. So it wouldn't like be completely off the radar crazy if he had made the team, but certainly not likely at this point. I saw some of the beat writers kind of deflecting, like just like, let's see him in camp kind of thing. And that's kind of the fact that we have to take. I mean, until you actually see him, we don't know. Obviously the Braves saw something in Giles enough to give him a minor league contract that would make him real money if he makes the team, but that's not a huge bar to clear. So uh, a name that is recognizable for sure but not one that's going to like dominate coverage right now in February. As we do this podcast today, no more Ken Giles discussion after this on the bullpen preview. Let's just say.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, once upon a time he was elite with uh, a couple of teams Especially Houston. And, you know, anytime you have that long of a layoff layoff from the major league level, you have to question. He did have a major or a showcase with major league teams last week, actually. And there was a report that he was hitting mid 90s. So he okay. still has something left in the tank. Um, so it'll be a, a good story Wanda, to, to follow for sure there is just as we're going to talk about today there is just a lot of depth in the bullpen and it almost just becomes a numbers game but hey if ken giles wants to find something and become even close to the guy that he used to be i'm sure the braves would absolutely take it
1: yep i will not foreclose on that being a possibility at all um the other thing that's sort of newsworthy is that a guy we talked about actually last week on the show a little bit Old friend Kevin Pilar, who we thought might be a sneaky option to return in a minor role, signed a minor league deal, actually, with the White Sox this week. Not like we were begging for Kevin Pilar, but he did make some sense last year and was a name we talked about. So we wanted to mention that. Uh, Unless you have hot takes on Kevin Pillar, we could probably move on. But certainly a a name off the board that was kind of on it, at least for us.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think by all accounts, Pilar fit in really well with the clubhouse. He really just did not play very much in the second yeah. half of the season. And, you know, he's he is not a bad player by any means. So he goes to the White Sox, which might be a bottom three organization in the sport right now. He's going to have a chance, a real chance to make that team. I believe if he makes the big league roster, it's $3 million. So some very real money. So for Pilar to at least take a chance, who knows, maybe if he doesn't make the team, uh, he'll he'll land elsewhere. Who knows, maybe he circles back with the Braves. But um, good for Kevin, seems like a, a guy who really cared and had a lot of passion, gave, uh, gave it his all whenever he had a chance last year. But he will be in Chicago at least for uh, the next couple of weeks and months as he tries to win a roster spot.
0: You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: Okay, Scott, let us dive now into the main event of today's podcast. That is the bullpen preview. I want to start kind of broad, and then we'll dive into the players that we're expecting to be in the bullpen. At the end of the podcast, we'll do some more overall picture stuff with regard to 2024. But looking at last year's bullpen, briefly here, they were only middle of the pack at innings pitch, which is probably a good thing. You want your starters to pitch more innings than in the bullpen, if possible. And that's not a bad thing. They were pretty good in strikeout to walk rate. Lots of strikeouts, not a ton of walks. Peripherals were strong. ERA was just okay. You know, 3.81 as a team is nothing special. But above average, 10th in fan graphs were on the bullpen. And basically no one other than the guys who are no longer here, which is a key distinction, was bad for the Braves last year. Uh, Brad Hand had a seven plus ERA. Lucas Lucie had a seven plus ERA. They were here briefly and in very small duty and then gone. Michael Tonkin threw a lot of innings, actually took them through most innings on the whole team last year out of the bullpen, but he's not he's not around anymore either. Colin McHugh is not around anymore. Kirby Ace is not around anymore. Uh all those guys are not here. And basically everyone that is back is was is or was good last year um, in varying degrees. Obviously, we had the more high-profile guys, Iglesias, Mentor, etc. Some of the, some of the supporting pieces, but broadly speaking, it was a good group last year. It was not a super elite group, and the Braves basically Alex Anthopoulos has done this before, but he looked at a group that was probably going to be good anyway and decided to invest a bunch more in it, which is something that Alex has done. He, he likes to invest in the bullpen, spend money there and resources there as we've chronicled many times, they won the world series in part because the bullpen was awesome in 2021. So uh, it's a strength again, it seems like, but dating back to last year, I actually will say this. I was, I thought they were better than the the numbers are indicating. Does that make sense? Like they weren't number one in the league or anything like that, but I was actually surprised how modest the overall number um, numbers were. It's all I'd sort of dove in a little bit deeper and found out that like a lot of that was the sort of secondary guys.
2: No, it's interesting. You say that because I almost think I'm the exact opposite. Um, Maybe Perfect. it's just yeah. There we go. Right. It's, we know we rare, never do this it?
1: on this podcast. We go get yelled at for not for for, for agreeing too much, Scott. So this is good. There we this. go.
2: So, <laughs> you know, I just never had a ton of confidence outside of the top two or three guys, especially before the trade deadline. Um, we know how good Pierce Johnson was, and that kind of helped settle some things down in the middle innings. But you know, Rysell Glacius was good. AJ Minter was good once again. Um, and, and then beyond that, man, I mean, there was Joe Jimenez was uh, a, a pretty high impact trade and he just never was used. We're going to talk about Jimenez a little more, but you know, it never seemed like the Braves had full on confidence in Jimenez based on how they used him. You mentioned, um, you know, guys like Colin McHugh never found himself. Um, Kirby Yates, I closed my eyes and crossed my fingers every time Kirby Yates came in. Michael Tonkin was a great star- story early in the year, but by the end of the season, it had really kind of come apart. Brad Hand was an ineffective trade deadline addition. So, um, you know, overall, the numbers were fine. I, I guess I never had a ton of faith in the bullpen. Maybe that's just me being uh, wanting the highest of, of highs for the Braves. But <laughs> I do like... All of the additions they've made this winter, I'm really intrigued by them. I love that they have added some velocity here, which is something they really didn't have a ton of last season in the bullpen. Guys who can throw mid and upper 90s pretty regularly. Uh, So I I am very intrigued by this group. I I think if I had to make a, a prediction or a guess as of early February, will this group for 2024 be better or worse than the one last year? I would say with pretty high confidence, I think this group is going to be better than the one from a year ago.
1: We agree there for sure. They invested there. And as we'll talk about at the end of the podcast, they sort of in, they sort of project to be in that top tier by all of the public facing metrics that I have seen. Um, I, I think maybe uh, not to investigate myself too much here. I wonder if part of what I'm remembering and why I was a little bit surprised how low they were in some of these metrics is that there was a lot of talk last year from fans and on the podcast about like how bad they were. And I kept pushing back about them not being that bad. Does that make sense? I feel like I have, there's this, maybe this, that's kind of what I'm remembering of like me looking at the numbers and being not necessarily impressed, but that they were better than people thought they were. And maybe I just remember that. (laughs) Um, For sure.
2: Yeah. No, no bullpen is going to be perfect. Like obviously there there's, uh, you know, and, and I think a lot of the times when bullpens are in close games, things get amplified in the seventh, eighth and ninth innings. And whenever, whenever you let a winnable game get away from you or a game where you're trailing and hopefully just trying to mount a comeback and then the bullpen comes in and lets the the floodgates open. You know, I think those just kind of stick out in our minds far more than when the bullpen throws four scoreless innings and nobody really thinks twice about it because you just kind of hope and expect that that's going to be the case.
1: Oh, yeah, that's definitely bullpen life. And that leads people like us that are trying to be a little bit more even handed to kind of calm folks down when the bullpen blows a game because it's going to happen. No matter who you are, you blow games in the regular season, especially in the bullpen. And I also think as we'll sort of dive in now, the guys who are their best relievers, Iglesias, Mentor, even Jimenez, like were good last year. And I think the guys that were not their best relievers weren't. And maybe that feels like it's supposed to feel in some ways, um, because the secondary guys in most bullpens are just not that good. But anyway, that's an aside. We'll come back to it more as far as big picture in a second. I do want to go, kind of go through all of the key stakeholders because there are a lot of them, and we have to start with Riceo Iglesias, who is a highly paid, you know, quote unquote closer. I know that we don't have to use that term anymore, I suppose, but Snicker still manages like that's going to be a thing. So. Uh, that's not like the most in vogue modern baseball thing to have a defined closer, but the Braves do have one. It's Russell Iglesias and he projects to be quite good. Um, He is one of three pitchers in baseball. um, Sorry, with the Braves right now in that are projected in the top 15 of all relievers in baseball. That's Iglesias that is mentor. And that is Ronaldo Lopez actually, when it comes to Zip's projections and our friend Dan Zaborski. Iglesias wasn't as good last year as the year before, but he was still, a very, very good reliever. He makes real money and he's basically written in pen to that role unless he falters or gets hurt.
2: Yeah. You mentioned, I mean, he had a 275 ERA, which is plenty fine for a closer. Maybe not one of the game's elite options in the ninth inning, but that's going to work. Uh, he, his metrics were a little less good. They were, he had a 3.3 FIP and XFIP. But at the same time, his strikeout rate was strong, struck out almost a third of the batters he faced, and didn't walk very many people, which is, of course, so important in the ninth inning. You start walking, guys, it feels like you are going to get burnt. So only a 6% walk rate from Iglesias last year. Uh, He did have a little bit of a home run problem. Most home runs since 2019 given up. And he's going to be 34 years old. So maybe that's not ancient by any means for reliever standards, but 34 on the probably the back nine of his career, which has been a very good career. Uh, There was nothing in his profile that I saw anyway, that is a warning sign or a red flag other than our usual bit of there is a lot of year over year variance with relievers. But at least as we sit here in early February, it seems like Iglesias is going to be very locked in to that ninth inning role as he should be. He's been good for a long time. And if he can just come close to repeating what he did last season, I don't think anyone's going to have a real issue with it.
1: Yeah. That's a good sort of synopsis. And I think we were maybe a little bit spoiled in 2022 because he was just basically perfect for a while, you know, like in a way that nobody is like literally perfect. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it, it was as soon as he arrived too. So it was, it was kind of, uh, Again, I think the word "spoiled" it has to be what we're what we're using here. But I think it's more realistic to see what he was what he was last year, which is again still, as noted, a top fifteen ish reliever in baseball. A very very good pitcher, a solid guy. He is older. To your point, there is more downside risk the older you get. So that's always something we have to at least acknowledge. But you feel pretty good with Iglesias on the mound. At least I do. I mean, this is more uh, more subjective. But do you feel good when he when he takes the ball in the night? Because I generally, oh yeah.
2: Yes, I do. I mean, much higher confidence than the Will Smith experience.
1: Oh um, baby, let's go back to it. I'm just kidding. Let's 2 not, let's 3 not do years that.
2: ago, man, it was uh white knuckling every time Will came. That's World Series champion. I was
1: I was about I was about to say Scott, what's referred to by his full name and that is World Series hero Will Smith.
2: <laughs> I believe that's uh, three consecutive World Series champion Will Smith. If I am remembering Not a coincidence.
1: Correctly. Not a coincidence, folks. That's all I'm saying. I'm just
2: saying the Atlanta Braves have not won the World Series since Will Smith <laughs> left town. Um, Wow. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, good confidence in Rysel. You know, he is not someone who relies on uber high velocity in order to be successful, does a good job of keeping the ball down. I think it's like a split change that he throws. Uh, So he's, you know, it's not like he's Edwin Diaz, where you worry that if there's a bit of a velocity dip, he may not be as effective. You know, I do think with his command and his mix of pitches, I I would imagine that he's in for another good year. And the Braves, I think. Uh, can pretty comfortably have him in the ninth. And if if something were to happen or if there were an injury, they do have quite a bit of depth here behind him where somebody could slot into that ninth inning should he need to.
1: That is a transition by Scott to A.J. Minter, who kind of similarly to Iglesias, projects as one of the best number two slash setup men in baseball. He has been a closer before for the Braves. He's also projected to be a top tier reliever this year. Notably, he'll be a free agent at the end of the season, so this might be the last time we see AJ in a red uniform. I'm not saying for sure, but certainly that is possible because if he's good, he's going to get real money from somebody. I can promise you that. Um, And he was also good last year. Like he was a little bit unlucky. And I want you to sort of talk about the numbers a little bit. But I think that AJ, you know, being a lefty is helpful to power arm, trustworthy, like another excellent reliever that you feel pretty good about at the end of the bullpen.
2: Yeah, just one of the most underappreciated relievers in baseball and has been for many years, and not by Braves fans. We know how good AJ is, but because he doesn't have that closer label, I think nationally he doesn't get the attention that he deserves because he's been as good as pretty much anybody over the last five seasons, pitching regularly in the majors. Um, you know, last season it was just, I mean, he was good, uh, a 376 ERA which was high, although his his metrics were much better. He had a 2.9 FIP, a 3.4 XFIP, continues to get a lot of strikeouts and, and do a decent job at limiting walks, only an 8% rate. Um, last year, he ran into a little bit of bad luck, a 331 batting average against him on balls in play. And Minter also gave up the most home runs he's allowed in a season since 2019. So generally, luck on balls put in play and home runs year over year can be... Uh, a little fluky, have some variance. But uh, at 30 years old, AJ is very much in the prime of his career. You mentioned he has free agency right around the corner, assuming the Braves don't get a deal done in the spring. Uh, and he has a lot of incentive. He can go out there and put together a good season. He's going to get a very, very nice contract in about nine months.
0: Yeah,
1: to back you up a little bit, um, the last four years, I just pulled this quickly as we are talking. Um, number one, Rysel Iglesias is number four on this list, but this is the uh, list of qualified relievers over the last four seasons combined in fangraphs war iglesias is fourth and Minter is eighth so two of the top eight relievers in baseball the last four years are on the bridge roster not a bad spot to be in
2: no it's not and when you have those guys in the eighth and the ninth inning man you talk about just bridging the gap there are um even if bullpens get criticized sometimes and maybe unfairly so that's about as good of a one-two punch as you're going to have late in games
1: yeah, so you feel good about that. Um, if something happened to Iglesias, I would imagine they would go to mentor. They don't necessarily have to. It could be, it could be Joe Jimenez, who's also been a closer. He's more of the prototypical, you know, he's he's more, he's a righty. He's been in the role before. Uh, I, there probably isn't so much of a stigma anymore about left-handed closers. AJ again was a closer for the Braves. Uh, under Brian Snicker. So like he's done that in the past. Um, Billy Wagner was a closer in Atlanta as a lefty, so like it's it's been done, just not done as much as right-handers for the most part. But anyway, Joe Jimenez is the other guy on the list that we kind of have to go to now. Um, they just they just paid him uh, three years and over $25 million. So they'd reinvested in Jimenez after the trade happened. Uh, you made this note and I'll I'll give it to you to kind of give your reaction. He was used strangely last year not in a terrible way but it seemed like and the numbers tell this story as well that he like didn't pitch at high leverage and that when you throw in that what they paid to get him his history as a closer the fact that they re-signed him for real reliever money like top reliever money like it's not it's just a little bit strange that they were not giving him more high leverage opportunity more you know more high profile spots that he was in and a part of that is mentor and iglesias but like he wasn't even number three or number four in that list either
2: And I think when we talk about leverage, I think most of our listeners know, but if they're not as familiar, um, you know, there's they track they being fan graphs or your statistical statistical site of choice. But there is a difference in leverage spots when a reliever comes into the game And, and all players, not just relievers. But, you know, pitching in a one run game in the eighth inning, that is a high leverage spot. Pitching in a seven-run game in the sixth inning, that is a low-leverage spot, right? Okay, so knowing that Jimenez had some of the lowest leverage of anybody in the Braves' bullpen last season, which was a little odd because clearly the Braves liked him. They went out and gave up a real prospect for him in the offseason. I believe Anthopoulos said they even tried to acquire Jimenez the previous trade deadline. So he's somebody who's been on their radar for a while. And historically, he's been good, and, and last season he had good numbers overall. A 3 ERA, a 3-6 FIP, a 31% strikeout rate, a 6% walk rate. But he just wasn't really getting the baseball a ton in the closest of games. I'm curious to see how the Braves use him moving forward. Uh, they gave him a very real deal, three years, $26 million. So they clearly like him. Um, and I'm curious to see if that kind of rolls over and in 2024, if he gets more of those high leverage seventh and eighth innings, or if for whatever reason, they just kind of use him when the game isn't as close. It was just odd. I don't know if it was necessarily a bad thing. It was just kind of an interesting way to use a guy who the front office very clearly likes.
1: Yeah, and he had a slow start. So maybe maybe that's why it, this is a very, very broad 10,000 foot view statement, but it's possible that because he didn't start hot, Snicker didn't really, you know, didn't trust him as much as some other guys. And then he kind of got better and better and better, had a, you know, a mid 2 ERA after June 1st. His numbers spiked a little bit. He was throwing harder. So, like, maybe that's it too. Uh, just the slow start aspect, the fact that they do have other options um, on a lot of teams. Someone like Joe Jimenez would have been, if not the closer, would have been certainly the number two guy. And he wasn't on the team last year, which kind of led to some of that. He has also right handed some of the situational stuff. It's not quite as clear. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not defending it. It's just it was it was strange to say the least, but they brought him back and you got you have to assume when you pay a guy that kind of money as a reliever that that they're going to use him more often and in bigger spots, because otherwise uh, it's kind of a weird investment.
2: Yeah, I think so. And you know, it's worth noting that Jimenez underwent off-season spine surgery last year in the so, you know, maybe he was, you mentioned, um, not great out of the gate, but uh, after June 1st, Jimenez had a 2.37 ERA and terrific strikeout and walk numbers. His velocity also went up a little bit. Maybe that's a product of being distanced from the surgery. Maybe it was just the weather warming up and and him loosening up a bit. But um, either way, a, a talented guy, he's only 29 and signed for three more years. So if, if you're telling me that they're going to use Jimenez when the game is a little closer more often, I, I certainly think that's something he can do. He has the talent to do. Um, And as we're going to kind of talk about during this bullpen overview, there's just so much depth here that other than Iglesias and maybe Minter, I'm not sure they're going to have to pigeonhole guys into certain roles because there are a wide range of uh, talent and velocity here in this group where it's not like you must pitch the seventh inning or you must pitch the eighth inning or you must pitch the sixth inning. Uh, There's quite a bit of flexibility with this group overall.
1: Oh, definitely. And I think that um, if it was you and I or more analytically minded folks uh, designing the bullpen usage, it would be more flexible. I, I do think that Snit um, has gotten a lot more modern in, over his tenure. He, do, he does, though, tend to lean on specific roles for certain guys in the bullpens. And, and I get why. I mean, it's a long season. Um, there are personalities you have to manage and all that stuff. It's certainly a, a bigger job than people including us might make it seem like it is sometimes um but but I do think that uh they do have the talent to kind of flood the zone and be really malleable in the bullpen righty lefty high you know guys who throw hard et etc cetera, etc cetera. this uh, we're sort of talking about the guys who are returning first the guys they brought in we'll talk about in a second you know Aaron Bummer and especially Ronaldo Lopez have real pedigrees as like high leverage guys and they have you know, you a generous reading of this bullpen could tell you that even if you put Tyler Matzik to the side, who is who is still hurt right now and coming back, they have six guys that are very easily projected to be top two or three relievers on most teams. They have six of them at least, and that doesn't include Matzik or Dylan Lee, who have been really good, or Ray Kerr, who they pay, who they paid a, a real price for as far as a trade is concerned. Like, they really have not necessarily an overwhelming amount of talent because you always want to have too many guys rather than too few, but they, again, not to overstate the point they're loading up on the bullpen. Like that's very obviously what this part of the strategy is for Alex is to kind of just give you as much as you can handle down there.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think we, we know, well, at this point, you have to have a lot of bullpen depth in order to cover 162 games, but there are genuinely like 10 or maybe even 12 arms here in this bullpen group who could have very real roles with the Braves at some point in 2024. And that's very, very important depth to have because someone's going to get hurt. Someone's just not going to have the year they're hoping to have and be ineffective. I mean, it's very much the Colin McHugh scenario where McHugh was a great reliever for years. And then it just all fell apart. Like overnight, it fell apart. He was one of, statistically speaking, one of the better middle relievers in all of baseball in 2022. And it just never came together in 2023, and now he is retired. So you're going to know that at some point this season, one of these guys just is going to come on hard times, regardless of how he gets there. (laughs) And you're going to have to call on somebody else. And it's uh, you can always add relievers at the deadline. But, man, you got to be able to cover those first three and a half months before you get there. And having this much talent and this much depth in the group is really going to pay dividend at some point.
1: Scott, I think that might double as our annual – relievers are volatile bit on the podcast. Um, There we go. In case people don't know this, this is one of our bits we always come back to because we actually believe it. Relief pitchers are more, more volatile than anything else in baseball. Like you, obviously you're better off with guys that you know have been good in the past and who project to be good, but weird stuff happens with relievers. It's just, it's the way the 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 game goes. It goes in both directions. Again, you know, the fact that Pierce Johnson was essentially perfect last year with the Braves post-trade was awesome. The fact that Tyler Matzik and Luke Jackson, et cetera, Will Smith throwing great bullpen work in a playoff series after he was bad the rest of the season, et cetera. Like It's just kind of high and low with, with regard to bullpens. And you're just hoping that by October, for a team as good as the Braves, that you have enough guys who are pitching well and who are healthy. But it is truly a roller coaster. And Alex's tact is just to throw more at it, which I don't mind as an approach. But relievers are volatile. We talk about that for a reason.
2: Yes, they are. Um, I'm all in on accumulating a good, deep bullpen, as long as the rest of the roster is in good shape. And it is, right? Tune into the podcast the next couple of weeks as Brad and I (laughs) overview the lineup and the starting rotation. So the rest of the roster is in really good shape. The bullpen on paper looks great here in February. And uh, yeah, they're going to need it because as we know, man, if you can get to September and October with four maybe five guys throwing well that can cover a whole lot of ground come playoff time.
1: Yeah, if the Braves had spent this kind of capital on the bullpen and had other issues that were glaring with the rotation or with their with the uh lineup, I think I would like it less because because generally speaking there's yeah. less projection in the bullpen, but because they're like to your point they're loaded everywhere else, it's a lot easier to champion investing money in the bullpen because they, they're they not like skipping out somewhere else, if, if that makes sense. It's, just, it's pretty linear what they're, what they're doing here.
2: Yeah, I agree completely. Um, you know, it's why you have the luxury of giving out real contracts to Joe Jimenez and Pierce Johnson and Ronaldo Lopez and taking on a talented lefty reliever and Aaron Bummer kind of buying low on his talent. Um, you know, whenever you have the ability to do that, then do it. You're in the middle of a World Series window. Try to beef up the bullpen. Don't let games get away from you late in the eighth and ninth innings. And um, as we've said, man, it's it's just a it's an important group. And uh, as long as you're not spending recklessly on it, it's a it's a group worth spending on.
1: For sure. And to that end, we talk about Pierce Johnson. Now is kind of the fourth returner at the end of the bullpen. Uh, he. As I said, it was awesome last year, a sub one ERA after he arrived in Atlanta. He probably isn't going to do that again because no one does that. Um, he's had some highs and lows. Um, Zips likes him. The Braves signed him to a two-year deal worth $14 million, so another pretty real investment in a pitcher. Of course, we love what we saw last year. They kind of bought low on him coming out of you know Colorado, and that's a weird situation. But um, the fundamentals are pretty strong on Pierce Johnson, even if he's going to be in line for some regression because, again, a sub one ERA is not where anyone lives
2: sadly no um i was really impressed by pierce johnson last year and it took all of like one appearance where you saw the hard fastball and then you saw that wipeout slider and i mean nobody could do anything against it a 0.76 era over 24 appearances he struck out 36% of the batters he faced with the braves after coming over from the rockies talk about a an environment upgrade going from Denver and Coors Field to Atlanta and and maybe the best roster in baseball. Um, Johnson was terrific. Um, He has been, you know, he's 33 years old. He has been uh, a little volatile year over year. He was with the Padres for a minute, then signed with the Rockies. Uh, So he's, you know, he is not a stone cold, absolute lock to be awesome again, but man, he was just so impressive last season. I was really glad the Braves brought him back and at a pretty reasonable two years and 14 million, only making 7 million a year. You know, he's a guy who I am high on. I, I love the idea of having him to work those middle innings and bridge the gap. And, um, you know, just a really impressive, very much modern reliever with that fastball and slider combination.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of what I saw from Pierce Johnson as well. And uh, you're just hoping that that carries over. But the Braves saw something in the first place, clearly. And what the, whatever they saw is what we saw <laughs> again. He, and I think he's. Projected to be pretty good, um, even if you like, you know, if you look at like Zips projections or Steamer, they're going to be close to what his career numbers are. That's not, that's how those numbers work. They're not going to suddenly just buy into you after a small sample size. But I think that you can look at him as a quality option until otherwise noted. Those are kind of the big four we just we, we just discussed as far as the returners are concerned: Iglesias, Mentor, Jimenez, and Johnson. Then you have two new guys who they've invested in in a real way we'll start with aaron bummer who we covered earlier this offseason when, when they actually acquired him in november in the deal that was very very interesting as a reminder the braves traded in this transaction michael soroka jared schuster nikki lopez Braden Shumake, and riley cowans for aaron bummer and the reaction was interesting because it was one of those trades that's so hard to talk about because it's it requires a lot of nuance part of that is that they they kind of cleared their books out um, we discussed that ad nauseum back in November when, when the deal happened, um, he has signed for basically three more years, including club options. He has a couple of really good seasons last year, though, he had a very bad ERA. And for some people, and I'm not picking on anybody, I promise. I'm, I'm sure we have listeners that are still feeling this way. If you see his ERA, which was 6.79, there is a segment of the baseball population. that's just out at that point, they see an ERA over six. And it's like, this guy stinks. And look, I, I, we'll just do our best to explain why we think the otherwise. Um, but you know, I get it. He was very unlucky last year, every single advanced metric or not even that advanced, but you know, XERA and FIP and XFIP and all of these supporting metrics have been really strong on bummer. Alex said the same thing when they acquired him, like they're obviously buying in on that being an outlier, bad season in the way that sometimes that sometimes happens. But um, we'll, st- I'll stop there sort of a rambling for now, but uh Beyond the ERA of last year, everything else that you could look at with Aaron Bummer is a pretty good reliever, and uh, they have like he sort of has tools that you definitely like.
2: Yeah, in many ways, the the reaction to Aaron Bummer was very similar to the reaction when the Braves traded for Pierce Johnson. And on the surface, he had like a seven ERA with the Rockies, and everybody yeah. was like, "Why on earth would the Braves trade for this guy?" He has a well, seven ERA, and then ERA. also fro-
1: throw in the throw in the package of guys that went out that have a bunch of famous names soroka yes. and Shumake, et etc like that made it also more of a reaction even though very obviously the Braves were going to just dfa those guys sorry non-tender those guys so they were not going to be back anyway so they kind of just threw them all together and made a trade
2: right yeah get something aaron bummer is a talented lefty reliever he has big time strikeout numbers um, he has a nasty sweeper that he throws that gets a ton of swing and miss on Um, and you know, he has a lot of things in his profile that you like from relievers. He gets a lot of strikeouts. He is in like the 98th percentile in ground ball rate. So a guy who gets a lot of strikeouts and keeps the baseball on the ground. I mean, that is music to my ears. And when you look at his overall numbers, we mentioned an ERA of 6.79, But you have to keep in mind, he was quite unlucky with batting average on balls in play against him. His strand rate was really low as well, which is just kind of a, you know, it keeps in mind how, whenever runners are on base, how often does it get out of a jam? We could have a whole philosophical debate about whether or not relievers can control when they get outs and whether it's skill or whether it's luck, blah, blah, blah. We could talk about that forever. But the White Sox last year were a dumpster fire. They were historically bad defensively. I looked this up at one point. I think the White Sox as a team were one of the worst graded defensive teams of the past decade. They were like fourth in the last 10 years in defensive runs saved as a team. The infield was very bad. And if you think about Bummer, who gets a lot of ground balls, if you have an awful infield defense, that is not a match and a pair that's going to go well together. So you take a chance on the talent once upon a time, this guy had a pretty easy claim to being one of the better lefty middle relievers in baseball. And he signed for 2024 and then there's two club options after that. So it's a one year kind of prove it deal. And if he's great, then you pick up the club option and if he struggles again, then you're off the hook after one season.
1: Yep. And the Braves are better defensively than the White Sox by leaps and bounds, Uh, you know, our whole bit that we just did about relievers being volatile still applies. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to guarantee you that Aaron bummer is awesome by any means, but I, I think if I was doing a projection, it would be a lot closer to his career supporting numbers than when it would be to his ERA from last year. So, I, and again, the pressure is a little bit lower when you are the third, fourth, fifth, sixth reliever. And he might be one of those things in Atlanta and it's not because of him. It's because they have so many other guys that were good. So uh, yeah, I still like that move when it happened. I like the move now. He should help them. Lefty, ground balls, all that stuff. The sweeper that you mentioned is a picturesque pitch. And I'm in on Aaron Bummer. So yeah. we'll leave it there for I, now if you want to.
2: Yeah, I would imagine, you know, we had a conversation a couple weeks ago during one of the mailbag episodes about constructing the roster to be more effective come playoff time. You no, know, Bummer is somebody who historically has been quite good against lefties, a career 2.4 FIP that that's going to come in play at some point knowing the the Phillies have quite a bit of power from the left side knowing the Dodgers have quite a bit of power from the left side Uh, of course you're not going to acquire a player for a a scenario that may or may never happen in September and October but man you take a chance on him once again I mean talented guy very very good in 2019 and 2021 He's had a couple of injuries which is worth noting but an interesting add and in very many ways a quintessential Alex Anthopoulos addition because he bought low on a talented player and I mean go look at his baseball savant page he gets a ton of swing and miss he gets a ton of ground balls which we talked about uh, you know he has he does a lot of things that I think are appealing and of, of intrigue to a front office
1: most certainly and the other guy who is part of that big 6 or so is Ronaldo Lopez. So the Braves signed him to a three-year, $30 million deal, which is a lot of money. It has this odd structure where it's only $4 million this year, and then it's $11 million in the next two years after that, and then a $4 million buyout or a club option in 27. It's a big deal for a reliever. But as soon as that deal happened, as we discussed on the podcast, the Braves began to leak that they were going to give him a chance to start. Now, that is before the Chris Sale move happened, which is a key distinction point. This is before Chris Sale, and if you look at the roster right now, they have four guarantees if they are healthy in the rotation. They have Soroka, it's not Soroka, (laughs) Strider, Breed, Morton, and Chris Sale. And then the fifth spot, I think assumedly right now, Bryce Elder will will be given every chance to earn that spot after being what is still a funny selection to be an all-star last year, that happened. Um, And then they have other guys, Smith etc. Lopez could still be given a chance to start. And that's why we're talking about him last actually here, because if you go, if you, if we just knew he was a reliever, he would not be number six on my list. He's a very good reliever. And that seems very obvious to me and everyone. Um, every projection I have seen believes that if he's a reliever, he is an excellent reliever. The only question is if they're going to give him a chance to start, they might've told him that they seemingly did tell him that. Um, and we'll see how they approach that. Obviously we're talking about this in early February before anybody arrives at camp. So if he's starting in February and March, they might have him do that. And again, they're paid him real money. So, uh, one big question mark on his usage, but as a pitcher, I think we know that he's going to be really good in the bullpen on paper. And if he's a starter, I don't know about you, Scott, he seems like a perfectly fine fourth, fifth starter. And there's some value in that. I'm just not sure which path they're going to choose. And um, that's really, really interesting for the next, you know, six weeks.
2: Yeah, I'm very interested to see how the Braves handle Renaldo Lopez throughout the spring. And then, of course, once the season begins, you know, I really don't know. I, I think they will give him a chance to be a starter. Wouldn't surprise me if he starts a game or two in February and early March. But ultimately, I think he's going to end up in the bullpen Maybe he is in a hybrid role of sorts, which I think carries a lot of value. Perhaps he covers multiple innings, which is also very valuable. If he can cover three innings in a close game and give everybody a, a breather that night, other than maybe the closer, I mean, that that carries a lot of weight over a 162-game season. Uh, because he has an interesting profile, especially as a reliever. He throws very hard. His fastball last year, exclusively out of the bullpen, averaged, 98 and a half miles per hour and he pairs that with a slider that's in the upper 80s as well. So, very top percentile in velocity, which is again something the Braves clearly targeted this winter when working the bullpen over. So, an interesting arm, he's 30 years old, so uh, he came up as a starter and then has become a reliever, has pitched pretty much exclusively as a reliever the past 2 years and has a 3.02 ERA over 132 innings out of the bullpen so a very capable arm again very curious to see what the braves do with lopez because he kind of feels like a a jack of all trades type where they're going to have some real options
1: yeah and if look it's not this simple but if they had not done the chris sale trade and we were sitting here and the braves only had three guys that we knew were going to be in the rotation i would be a lot more i don't know Optimistic that he would be given the opportunity, and also that I would give him the opportunity. You know what I mean? If they hadn't made that deal, he would be much more clearly in line, in my view, to start if he was able to do so. Yeah. Now, I would, I would I'm not agree sure. with
2: that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's just interesting because, look, I'm not trying to pile on. I'm not the biggest Bryce Elder guy, but he, I think, as a fifth starter is capable and they have other options. You know, we'll talk about that more when we get to rotation, but. They have other guys in the mix that, you know, Smith-Schauber came up last year and is one of their top two prospects. He'll be in the mix. Um, they may not, quote-unquote, need Lopez to start. And I, I wonder how that conversation will go. Like, if you're Alex and you're Snicker and you look at a veteran guy, and Lopez is going to be three on opening day, in mid-March, and say, look, Ronaldo, like, we know you'd be able to start for us and would do a solid job, but we have all these other guys and everybody's healthy right now. And we think you're better off in the bullpen. Like I I can't imagine he's going to like throw a fit, but it's an interesting conversation because if somebody does go down and look, this stuff happens, it's pitchers, injuries happen. If you lose Morton or sale for a couple of weeks or whatever, in the beginning of the season, you don't want to have a guy in Lopez like already shrunk down. Like, I think they made a point to say he's going to be stretched out. Like they're going to do that. And maybe they've changed their mind since the sale trade happened. But that was the messaging is like at the very least he'll be stretched out in the spring to start. And it's easier to go down than it is to go back up, if that makes sense, when it comes to innings and workload and how you're managed. So uh, we'll know more as camp opens and as February and March happens, and we'll cover it on the podcast, I'm sure. But uh, is, he's is the one guy on this whole bullpen preview until we get to the very, very end that really might have a chance to start because the other five guys we talk, we talk, that we talked about are all relievers. Kerr is a reliever, Matzik, and Doan Lee, and, um, you know, Jackson Stevens, et cetera. These guys are all reliever only players. The only other guy who's like in the bullpen mix that could start is Quascarinoa, but he's coming back from TJ, et cetera. But, you know, it, it's a very interesting situation and uh, I like to have him on the team. I, I think he's going to help them in some way. I'm just not sure which, which way is going to be more practical yet.
2: Yeah. And at some point Lopez could become a quote unquote starter, but be more of like an opener and cover three or four innings which actually sounds kind of intriguing now that I I say it out loud Um, knowing that he could just let it go for 50 pitches and see where the game is at should they ever run onto a couple of pitcher injuries so again a versatile arm somebody who one way or the other I think is going to throw quite a few innings for this Braves team and Naturally, he signed a big deal. I believe it was the fourth biggest deal at three years and $30 million, the fourth biggest reliever deal given out this winter. So the Braves very clearly like Lopez, and whether it's a starter, an opener, a long man who throws kind of more important innings, or a late-inning reliever, I feel pretty confident in saying he's going to have an important role regardless of what kind of innings he's throwing. Yes.
1: Yes. And we can leave it there. Obviously, I've talk, talked about him a lot, but uh, a very, very intriguing pitcher and someone who's proven to be a quality arm in various different roles across his career. Um, things get less stable after that, which isn't a knock on anybody else that we're, that we're about to get to. Those are six really, really good reliever profiles. Um, after that, though, you have Ray Kerr, who the Braves added in an interesting deal. Um, they traded Matt Carpenter for him. That's an, an odd thing. Um, they didn't pay a ton of capital for Ray Kerr, but they obviously went and got him proactively. Um, left-hander with a real fastball is kind of the pitch there on him. I've not seen him pitch much at all because he wasn't on the Braves before this, but a guy that they, they obviously targeted. And then you have guys like Matzik and Lee. But, I mean, Kerr is kind of in his own tier because they actively went and traded for him, but they also, like, I don't know what the commitment level is because, like, would it shock me if they if they cut Ray Kerr in, on March 10th? No, it would not. But um, he he has an option to to go to the minors too, which is certainly an important note.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I think you take a chance on a guy who debuted in the majors at 28 years old, which maybe isn't super uncommon for a reliever, but generally you get to be 28 and haven't seen the major leagues yet. It's, it's time you know, you're thinking about what's next in life. So good for him for sticking with it and getting his chance. Uh, he he pitched well for the Padres last year, 35 strikeouts in 29 innings. His fastball sits in the mid nineties, uh, 96 from the left side is, is really intriguing. So um, you mentioned he has a minor league option. So if they want to send him to Gwinnett and have him waiting in the wings, um, just a, a quick note on the bullpen as a reminder, you can have 13. 13- pitchers on your roster, and if you assume you're going to carry five starters, that means you only have eight bullpen spots available. And that big six that we outlined a moment ago—you know—it's a numbers game. At a certain point, you have to squeeze people in, and, and then have them uh, kind of a stable waiting in Gwinnett. So Kerr is interesting; throws hard. There's not many lefties on planet Earth who can throw 96. Uh, maybe he does emerge as a weapon out of that group at some point in the season. Now, I would guess because Kerr has the minor league flexibility that he will not break camp with the team could be wrong there. Maybe he just blows him away and forces the issue. But, man, sometimes even Brian Snitker said sometimes having a minor league option is almost it's a bad thing for players because there's you can't put him anywhere else. Whereas guys who don't have options, it's either put him on the big league roster or, DFA them and risk somebody picking them up. So an intriguing arm, 29 years old, throws hard. And uh, if you you tell me that Kerr is going to have a real role at some point this summer, I could certainly see it.
1: Yeah, so I will not claim to be an expert on Ray Kerr, but the numbers are relatively intriguing. Not a super young guy, but someone to keep in the mix that we've not seen too much before. If you are a Braves-only baseball watcher, then there are the two guys who are injury risks slash coming off injuries who have proven themselves to be good, both lefties. This is Tyler Matzik, of course, playoff hero, and Dylan Lee. Uh, Matzik was one of their top three or four guys for that couple-year run. Then he had TJ in October 2022. So he's been out for a year and a half almost at this point. He was not good in his final season, which was also important to point out. It's not as if – Matzik went from being the dominant night shift c- captain in 2021 to being hurt. He had a year in the middle of that, um, between that and being hurt to where he was not very good, which is a little bit disconcerting. Obviously he was probably banged up a little bit before that. You would have to guess, but he was, his uh, peripherals were not good. He was not striking out as many guys, he was walking more guys, etc. So I don't know what to make of Tyler Matzik. I know he is beloved by the organization, which is not a small thing. I think if he's healthy and looks like himself, you which you should plan on seeing him being around it's just like that's a big question for a guy who's not pitched in a long time
2: the man gave his elbow and his shoulder to win a world series because he had some shoulder issues uh 2022 after logging all those innings and pitching basically every game on that world series run so we love tyler matzik a legend we'll tell our kids about him one day Um, but the fact is that he had the one great year and then he had the injuries and then he had the surgery and here we are. So I am rooting for Tyler. I'm sure everybody listening is. I think there's a chance he has a nice season. I think there's also a chance where, uh, you know, he just isn't featured very prominently based on some of the the clutter in the organization. So uh, we're all rooting for Matzik. Hopefully he has the velocity and really it was just his command that escaped him in 2022. Uh, the strikeout dipped and the walk rate went sky high. Quite obviously, you cannot walk people and be an effective reliever. So uh, we'll see. I'm very curious to see how Matzik looks in the early days of spring training. Let's hope that this is just an early chapter and another great run for for Tyler, knowing what he did for this franchise a couple of years ago. But uh, yeah, all eyes will be on Matzik this spring.
1: Yeah, He's 33 now. He, of course, had the very odd situation where he came up with Colorado, was pretty good as a starter, actually, long ago, 2014, that had was out of baseball, basically, you know, he's out of the majors for four full years. He was good in 2020 in the shortened season for the Braves, and then was awesome in 21, and then since then we just covered it. So uh, questions abound, but we're all rooting for Matzik for sure. He's on the radar, nothing else. Then there's Dylan Lee, who has basically always been good when healthy. Um, he's had more, not, I, I would say less severe injuries, but he's kind of always seemingly banged up um he's only thrown 76 innings in his career but a career 2.95 era like he's always been good he had shoulder issues last year um that's a little bit frightening he has minor league options and he's always seems to be like on the fringe of the bullpen and you and i i feel like are always higher on him but the numbers are what they are like he's always been good i'm just not sure about the health and I'm 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 not sure there's like an obvious spot for him because of what we just said like they're kind of not overly loaded but they certainly have a lot of a lot of arms and he has some questions not maybe not as many as matzik does but certainly some
2: yeah the shoulder injury was a concern um, especially since he missed significant time last season tried to come back and then they had to shut him down again so hopefully with six months off he's been able to get that shoulder to be ready to go As we know when uh, as you said 76 innings of career 2.95 era with strong strikeout walk numbers to back that up so Lee, he's a talented guy. He's only 29 years old, so he has youth on his side, at least in the eyes of not being on the wrong side of 30. So hopefully Dylan, like Matzik, is able to come all the way back from that shoulder injury and make an impact. Uh, We mentioned he has the minor league option as well, so maybe they try to build him back up in Gwinnett. Ultimately, man, I think as we sit here, if the Braves can get a healthy season out of Matzik or Lee, you're going to be happy with it. Right. Like, I, yeah. think, I don't know, Brad, if you feel different, but
1: no, that makes sense to me. I mean, you you made a note here. It's a good one to bring up. They have a lot of lefties, you know, Minter and Bummer locks if they're healthy. Um, then you have Matzik, Lee and Kerr all left handed. Um, I can't imagine they're going to have all five of them be on the team on opening day. That would be a surprise. But um, we'll see. Obviously, Matic has the highest ceiling. Lee has been good. Kerr is more of a black, more of a black box. I'm not really exactly sure what's going on with that, but obviously the stuff played up and he was pretty good last year. So it's good to have left-handed options in particular. They have a bunch of them. But yeah, if you said, we know one of these guys is going to be good and healthy, having one of them out of two would be a pretty good result. The odds of Matic and Lee being healthy and good are not like impossible by any means, but I would say it's uh, sub it's 50%. If you just kind of just do the math on all of the factors in play. And if
2: you believe that AJ Minter is going to be good once again, and why yep. wouldn't you, he's been good for a long time. And then if Aaron bummer just kind of catches a couple of breaks and doesn't run into all of the bad luck he had a year ago, I mean, those are two very good lefties for your one, two punch. So if you're telling me that Madsik could be the third on this team, or maybe even the fourth, you know that he shouldn't have to be relied on at a super high level in order to find innings with the Braves. So, um, you know, an interesting mix. It makes sense to me that the Braves would go out and add someone who's a little more proven, like Bummer. That way, you're not full-on relying on Matzik or Lee or a pretty unproven Kerr, because all of a sudden, say, AJ Minter goes down, then you're really scrambling, because it's like, oh, man, who is our go-to lefty late in games? Um, So, you know, there's depth here. There's probably five lefties who have a chance to be anywhere from good to great next season. And who knows how the injuries are going to play out. You can never predict those kind of things, but there is some real options here. It's not like we're talking about a 26 year old non-prospect and it's like, man, well, I guess he could throw innings if they had to. I mean, it, you would have to get into really into the weeds if the Braves are scrambling for a lefty reliever at any point this year.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, from there, you have a guy who, always seems to be around. And I say that lovingly Jackson Stevens is on a one year non-guaranteed split contract that he signed at the end of November with the Braves. The last two years he's been around the end of the bullpen. He was more, more of a part of it in 2022 where he was, he was solid. He wasn't great, but he was solid. Some for ERA last year, only five appearances but pitched relatively well, had some elbow inflammation at the end of the year, but they signed him to a deal in November. So they feel like there's something there probably. And, I don't know about you, the way I would describe Jackson Stevens is like he is a prototypical last guy in the bullpen. <laughs> and I mean that in a nice way on a good team. I mean, Jackson Stevens would probably be a bigger part of a lot of different bullpens um, around the league than the Braves, but because the Braves have so much invested there. Him being basically pitcher 13 would be totally fine with me. And I think that he is capable of being in that role, giving you some decent innings, probably not somebody that you want to pitch in the eighth inning but someone who I think if you look at the numbers uh, has been rock solid. And if he's healthy, fine, he's, he's just fine. And that's okay.
2: Yeah. I like Jackson Stevens. Um, seems like a good dude. I know he's well liked in the clubhouse, kind of all reliable, even though he has not been at the major league level all that long. He just kind of feels, as you said, he is there. He is available. Um, assuming his health is cooperating, he could throw multiple innings, which is something he did a couple of times last year. And in the prior season, He throws pretty well. I mean, he has decent stuff. And you're right. Something would have to be very, very, very weird for Jackson Stevens to throw a tie ninth inning at some point next year, or even a tie seventh inning next season. I I mean, maybe it happens once in a blue moon, but I just don't necessarily see that happening. You mentioned it's also a split contract. So he has some flexibility without knowing the exact specifications of what that all means. Now, maybe they keep him in Gwinnett. Maybe he breaks camp with the team as like the fourth or fifth righty in the bullpen. But you're absolutely right. You can do a lot worse than Jackson. If if he is the last man on that bullpen bench, then so be it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that kind of ends the run of guys that have been in the bullpen for a while previously. You know, Bell Hernandez is on the 40-man roster. He was up in the big leagues for, I believe, four appearances last year. They didn't go super well, but he's a talented guy. Big fastball and the Braves have prioritized the power. He's 27, so he's not like a he's not like a kid, but certainly a, a name to keep in mind. We mentioned he knows on a recent show, a, a starter for the most part, but has it has the kind of arm that might play in the bullpen, playing back from Tommy John, but certainly somebody to keep an eye on. Penn Murphy, they they claim from Seattle, had um had surgery in June, so he's gonna be out for a while, but he's around. I don't know what that means, but he's another guy that at least we should say out loud that's kind of it for like the reliever only guys. I mean, again, you know, I might start at some point, but um, everybody else that we've not talked about is kind of in the fill in mix. I, you know, Hernandez may be a little bit higher priority and Murphy's hurt right now anyway, but just some names. And then obviously any, any starter in Gwinnett can be a reliever in Atlanta at some point. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. you know, Darius, Darius, Vines, Dylan Dodd, Smith Schauber could be there at some point this year. It wouldn't stun me in the bullpen. Like there's all kinds of names that you can throw out there of like, seventh, eighth, ninth, 10 starters that sometimes get put in the bullpen for a while.
2: For sure. There's always that stretch where the Braves are playing 15 games in 14 days and the bullpen is just taxed and they call up Darius Vines in a bullpen role. Ian Anderson, in- late in the
1: season, by the way. Just in another, case. another guy, yeah. yes,
2: Right, as Ian works back from Tommy John. Um, Enoa had Tommy John about a year and a half ago. You know, he Alan Winans.
1: Me- I'm saying yeah. all the names. Alan Winans. I, I like I'm Alan Winans. Alan- we- yeah, that's right. Me there too. We
2: we're covering all of our bases here. I don't want
1: anybody to yell at me and say you didn't you didn't say so and so name. So I think that's the entire forty man that I've already named of pitchers that could be. I, I, oh, okay, one more is Hurston Waldrop. I doubt it, but maybe in September, October he becomes sure. the uh, the old uh, K Rod, you know, hot starting pitcher that becomes your electric reliever in October. That's a long way from now, but uh, mm-hmm. I'll just say I'll just say his name out loud.
2: There you go. We have covered our bases. Um of that group you mentioned. Ken Giles.
0: But, <laughs> Ken sorry. Giles, we,
2: we hit Ken Giles <laughs> earlier in the pod. So I think we're yes, good. Yes, we did. We did. Um, I'm sure we're like forgetting somebody and we'll hear about it. Please tweet Brad, but not me, if we forgot anybody. That's uh, great. You know, I like I like Daisy Hernandez, good stuff, a limited sample last year, but grows hard. Um, Enoa, we talked about quite a bit on the pod last weekend. I would imagine the Braves are going to have him in Gwinnett to begin the season, kind of rebuild strength and command after missing time with the surgery. But once upon a time was an effective pitcher at the major league level. You mentioned Murphy had elbow surgery uh, last June, so probably more of like a second half edition. But he's interesting. He, he throws like Colin McHugh at low velocity, but gets strikeouts and nobody can hit him, which is always fun. And then you mentioned anybody in Gwinnett can be called up for the bullpen at, at any given time. So there's some real depth here. I would imagine that one of Jackson Stevens or Daisabel Hernandez will make the 26 man roster to begin the season, just as a, another right handed option. But I think uh, you know there's going to be a carousel all season oh, yeah. long. They're, they're all
1: they're always this, and there always will be. And it's that's the case with with relievers. We should also we say just the math problem if Lopez starts which could happen that creates a spot i don't think that bryce elder is likely to be in the bullpen i think if he doesn't make the team he'll be in gwinnett so that's another spot if they have lopez there that just adds another spot for somebody to fill in the bullpen because you gotta have you gotta have eight guys in your bullpen and sometimes it's nine i mean occasionally you'll have a week or two where you don't have to have five starters and you got you go to nine in your bullpen so you can have you can have 13 but uh, that means you have to have at least eight relievers, and the the math on that can change week to week, month to month.
2: Yeah, essentially, if Lopez is in the bullpen, which I think he will be, um, then you're you're talking about six locked in relievers, which means you only have two open spots. So yep. if if just to recap this whole thing, Rice Iglesias, AJ Minter, Joe Jimenez, Pierce Johnson, Aaron Bummer, and Ronaldo Lopez, if healthy are all stone-cold blocks. Agreed. And if Tyler Matzik is healthy, he does not have minor league options. So he's pretty close to a lot yeah. if he's healthy.
1: That's- if he's healthy and looks like Tyler Matzick, That's that's the other qualifier because there is a way that Matzick just might – I don't mean this in a negative way, but he might just not look like Tyler Matzik anymore. That's also possible. So it's the healthy plus – throwing with velocity, et cetera. But if he looks like Tyler Matsick, then he'll be on the team. I think that, I think you're right. For sure. That.
2: And even though he doesn't have minor league options, you could always put Matzik on the injured list and yes. just have him throw bullpens for a couple of weeks and try to get him back that way. I mean, there's, we have seen this front office be inventive with ways <laughs> to get guys innings over in yeah. roster spots over the years. Um, Dylan that, Lee, yeah, again, there's, there's one or two spots to your yeah, point. I mean, two spots for Matsick Lee, Kerr, Stevens, Hernandez, maybe Noah,
1: whoever. Maybe, I mean, that's maybe the Ken Giles. yeah, the math is not great there. I mean, it's, it's a good problem to have. There's nothing negative about this from the Braves standpoint, but if you are a pitcher, if you are, for instance, daisbel Hernandez, like the math is not on your side. Uh, you, you need some, you need to pitch number one, pitch well, but you also need some other stuff to go your way. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think the best pitchers are Matzik and Lee. But I, it, that depends on if they're both healthy. I think Stevens is totally fine. They, they just have uh, – it's a math situation. I don't want to overstate it, but it really is, and uh, we'll see. I mean, the one unfortunate part about doing this podcast in early February is we just don't know yet. Like, there's just information that's not going to be available to us, and we'll kind of update it as we get closer to the season for sure. This, is not, this will not be the final discussion, discussion that we have. It's But your, your point is right. It, it becomes very simple. If the top six are the top six, and they're healthy and they're there – there's only two more spots and yeah. figure it out.
2: <laughs> yeah. Get back to me in two months, Brad. And I can say with complete certainty, who is going to be in the bullpen.
1: We'll probably do our, uh, our projections that we're always wrong about. Like the last week of, the, of spring training, we'll, we'll say, all right, these are going to be the guys on the team. And they always change up something. Oh, something man. always changes. Remember the shortstop battle
2: last spring. Where, I, I do. Uh,
1: I do recall when there was a, the, the wave of Braden shoemaker love that just was, I, I never understand it still to this day, but here we are. We uh, spent he's a, a he's lot a, of time.
2: Yeah, we spent a lot <laughs> of time talking Vaughn Grissom versus Braden Shoemake. And then they were like, oh, hey, both these guys are going to minor league camp. It's Orlando Arcea. You big dummies. How did you not see this coming?
1: Yeah. And on that note, by the way, we I got several, I'm sure you saw this too. I got several tweets today when we were kind of plugging the podcast, like, you're going to have to re record when the Braves trade for Willie Adamus. And uh, hey, I would do happily do. do yeah, I would time. happily do an
2: emergency pod if the Braves acquire Adamus tomorrow.
1: We'll do that after Arizona's game tonight, um, if that happens. Um, okay. 2 a.m. podcast. There we go. <laughs> Obviously. Before we get out of here, last thing. We talked about it a lot, so I don't want to, we'd have to do 10, 10 minutes on this, but Fangrass right now and their depth chart projections have the Braves with the number two bullpen in all of baseball. When Zips came out, Dan Zaborski, who's actually been a longtime reader of Talking Chop and Not Battery Power, he wrote, uh, he's the one that is the proprietor of Zips, he wrote that every Braves reliever in the projected opening day bullpen was league average or better. And that may not sound sexy, but when your last reliever is league average or better, that means you're awesome in the bullpen. Does that make sense? League average encompasses every, the everyone in the league. <laughs> so that means half of the guys yeah. in the league are worse than that. If your eighth guy is better than that, you're good.
2: Yeah. It's really good depth to have. And I joke like Sure a perfect bullpen would have like eight closure level relievers, but th- that doesn't happen. That's impossible you, to do.
1: You, you want four of Iglesias and four of Minter and we'll just call it in from there. That's there
2: great. we go. It would That's be unfair. very good. Um, But yeah, I mean, you mentioned the second best bullpen projected as much as you can project bullpens. I think that just comes down to the depth that this group has. I think over the last hour, we've outlined like 12 very legitimate guys who could all make an impact at some point And, That's just something most teams, if any, can say going into a season.
1: Yeah. So I feel good about it. I think you do too. We already did our spiel to cover ourselves about how volatile stuff is, but uh, I think that as much as the Braves can feel good about a bullpen in February, they should. And uh, we'll see if it's the strength that we believe it is. But um, as we'll discuss later on, as we sort of tease forward, the, the lineup's great. The rotation looks pretty good, um, if healthy, and the bullpen looks really good. So uh, not a bad foundation when you have no discernible uh, spot to be looking at with terror. Uh, there have been times on this podcast, Scott, over the over the years when we looked at one of the, uh, one or more of the positions and had some real fear. And this year, knock on wood, that does not appear to be the case.
2: Yeah, it's a really well-rounded roster. is is kind of my takeaway when looking at it from a thousand foot view. And there's a reason that the, over under on this team for wins is like 100 101 pick your sports book of choice and it's going to be triple digits for how many games the Braves are projected to win and that's because one through 26 this roster is if not the best a strong strong claim for being top two top three so uh, a really good group I feel good about this bullpen I think if they get a few bounces in the right direction it could very easily be a top three bullpen in the game next year A lot of velocity, which is exciting. A lot of proven track record guys as well. And then some real upside if a couple of these guys bounce back from disappointing 2023s. And it could be a really strong group of seven or eight options. So it should be fun. Let's hope for uh, not as many roller coaster rides in the middle (laughs) innings as we saw at times last season. But overall, man, it's a really nice group. I think Alex and the front office deserve credit for the way they've kind of stockpiled talent here.
1: I agree, and uh, we'll be covering it in depth on this podcast network. If you're a new listener and happen to make it all the way through this, first of all, thank you for listening to us for 70 minutes on the bullpen. That's a great job by you. But if you're not already subscribed to the show, go ahead and do that now on your podcast platform of choice. Apple, Spotify, Overcast, anywhere you get your podcast, we should be there. And if we're not, let us know. Also, we have three different kind of shows within one. Um, we have this flagship show, which is usually myself and Scott um, for 400 plus episodes on the show. We also have the podcast to be named later with Chris Willis, who runs the entire battery power operation and Stephen Tolbert. That's a weekly show as well. And then Sean Coleman on the Daily Hammer, which this week had Garrett Spain on the show as well. But Sean does a great job three, four times a week during the season. Um, do a little bit more short form, but certainly very valuable uh content as well. And that's all coming to you for the price of zero dollars. So please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about the podcast network, and also read the site. Batterypower.com is the best place, at least in our minds, to follow all the stuff that you need to around the Atlanta Braves. Scott, did I miss anything? And also, if not. Tell me where they can find your work individually because it's obviously of the highest quality and I'm trying to stall so loud so that you can uh, miss the tip off of Arizona.
2: Thank you, Brad. I appreciate you. Um, Yeah, thanks, uh, everybody, for checking us out. If you've made it this far, you are a hero. Uh, We will do two more of these, one looking at the lineup and then one looking at the starting rotation in the next couple of weeks, which is always a lot of fun. Be sure to check out the website, batterypower.com. Lots of good content, especially as players start showing up to spring training, which is about a week and a half away now, which is really exciting. And uh, we will be back soon. Brad, I have to get it right under the gun here. The Super Bowl winner will oh, be... Oh, yeah.
1: Wow. Uh, I can't not pick the Chiefs. So Damn
2: it. I was hoping we were going to disagree. I... I don't really
1: have... I, look, I don't have any conviction on that. They're actually underdogs, which is not like unreasonable. I think the Niners are quite good. Um, but uh, if you, this is very simple, and I, I promise you, I have more takes than this in a longer form. But if my options on a neutral field in the biggest game of the season are Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy, Patty Mahomes, it is. I'm rolling with Patty. So yeah. there it is. I don't know. That's not, I have. There's more nuance than that. I have to write. Actually, I have to write a lot about Super Bowl this week for sports line and up rocks and places like. I have lots of notes. I wish you could see my research packet on the Super Bowl, Scott. You would be uh, <laughs> overwhelmed by the uh, the depth that because I, I work for CBS, who has the Super Bowl this year. So I have literally. Yes hundreds of pages available to me of research that I love Super Bowl so it's overwhelming and I'm excited for it but yeah give me the Chiefs
2: you have convinced me to put my entire life savings on the don't Kansas do that. City
1: Chiefs don't do that nobody nobody should do that <laughs> nobody should do that uh, it should that.
2: be fun uh good week of sports ahead Brad good to do one of these with you as always and we'll be back soon
1: yeah good PSA Scott and I are not going to record in our usual time slot because it's literally Super Bowl so I'm not going to make Scott do that So I don't know when our next show will be. It'll be in the near future. So the best thing you could possibly do again is to subscribe to the podcast. We'll have much more coming from Sean and Steven and Chris and us. So stay tuned. Appreciate you listening. And we'll see you all next time.